Hi, good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today. And thank you to everyone who's tuning in on Facebook and on YouTube. Good morning to you as well. Awesome to see you. Our God has done and is doing and will always do great things in our lives and in the life of his church and his kingdom. And how cool is it that we get to be a part of that? Isn't that awesome? Let's stand together. And let's worship our amazing God who does great things. Worship our King. Let's sing, church. Come, let us worship our King. Come, let us bow at His feet. He has done great things. See what our Savior has done. See how His love overcomes. He has done great things. It's our hero. Hallelujah, church. Hallelujah. 
Lutheran church. <laughs> Diet Catholic, as I call it. And in sixth and seventh grade, you go through this uh, two-year thing called confirmation, like the catechism, Catholic catechism. And one of the first verses that we memorize, of course, is John 3:16. Speaking of great things, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, and, and, and this is a promise that you and I, like all of God's promises, we can take to the bank. That whoever believes in him will never perish, but will have eternal life. What a great thing God has done. And it's an offer that is constantly extended to you and me. Let's celebrate that now. This song of invitation called God So Loved.
to take a moment right now before we continue our worship to greet one another. And you know, our local school district, Fairfield Sassoon, is heading into spring break this week. And so uh, go out of your way to welcome somebody. And, and if I'm just going to throw out this icebreaker question. What's one of the most memorable spring breaks you've ever had? Keep it rated PG. And uh, we'll continue with our, uh, our, our worship here in just a moment.
right, folks, let's make our way back to our seats. pastor say one time that telling God how big our problems are can be good and we need to do that we need to be honest with him and then he said sometimes we need to tell our problems how big our God is and I'm so thankful that Elsa recommended this song because it's been so encouraging to me and I hope it is to you as well and she's going to take the lead on the verses here it's called speak to the mountains
Thank you so very much for being bigger, better, stronger, greater than our problems. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your constant presence in our lives. Thank you for who you are, for all you have done, are doing, and will do. You are awesome. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Pastor Gary, you are up. That's all I got to say after that song. It's like, man, that is the sermon. Y'all can go home now. That that is a pretty awesome song. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's like I almost don't know how to come up after that one. Well, uh, welcome uh, this morning, Salon Valley Church. Really glad everybody is here today. Sean, thanks for playing on the drums for us today. Uh, Joy, Elsa, Matt, thank you so much for leading us in worship. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Rich, thank you for running multimedia back there. Thank you, Jim, for sound solving the video problem so people on Facebook, YouTube can be with us today. And uh, really, really grateful for how you guys serve. And then uh, for the Gatans, they're serving in the back of the children's ministry. Our, the people who do our refreshments for Sharon, for Sandy, uh, appreciate y'all, what you do, coffee, all that kind of good stuff. So, uh, also, hey, real quick, I just want to acknowledge some people. This is you're not supposed to do this. You're not supposed to play, say, hey, you, I, I see a visitor today. Would you please stand? Because that that really embarrasses people. But but I've known Sam, Karen, and Sammy for a long time. So uh, Sam, Karen, Sammy, can y'all stand for a moment? 
All right, all right. So I can do this. I get to embarrass them. I'll tell you why. Because they are like family, okay? They are family. And so uh, Sam, uh, Sam, yesterday was his 20th anniversary for entering the Navy as a Navy chaplain. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, yeah. So he just finished a tour of duty. Uh, he was the lead chaplain on the Nimitz Carrier Group, and now he's going to go down to Pendleton, straighten out all the problems down there. And uh, but Sam is a wonderful friend. Uh, Karen and Joy were they were uh, friends in college, just really really close friends. Sam caught the garter uh, at our wedding, at Joy's and my wedding, uh, almost 31 years ago, and then uh, and then. Uh, he proposed to Karen, and they got married the following Valentine's Day. So I don't know when the engagement happened, but I know it was sometime after that. But uh, and then and then this is the fun part. This is the fun part. When Beth, their daughter, got married, uh, Caleb, our son, caught the garter at 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 Beth's wedding. Isn't that funny? Isn't that crazy? I mean, it's like you can't really script that, you know. So uh, so yeah, I think that that we said last night that what needs to happen now is faith needs to catch the garter at their son Michael's wedding. Or not the garter, the bouquet. <laughs> not the garter, the bouquet. Sorry about that. Uh, but that's going to be hard because she's going to be in Washington. So anyway, uh, so I just said that, that Claire has to throw the flowers really far. <laughs> really, really far. So real quick, just a couple of comments. This isn't so much about our message as it is just, I think sometimes... Well, and actually, actually, I do believe this is justified, uh, very justified to say what I'm going to say right now based upon uh, what we're going to be looking at today. Because what we're going to do is we're going to go back to Exodus chapters 3 and 4 that we talked about last week. But what we're going to do is there's a large section that I really didn't get to in my message last week. And the reason I didn't get to it is it's the kind of a section of Scripture that raises all these difficult questions. And if you're not careful, you end up just kind of, missing the point, missing the point. So what I'm going to do this week is just kind of do a little bit of cleaning up on that. But one thing that I want to say, and, and because I do believe this was true for Moses. I think Moses kind of forgot who he was, okay? He kind of forgot who he was. We see this when God calls him to go to Egypt. And I think he kind of forgot who he was and what his life was supposed to be about. And I think he forgot even... Uh, more scary is he kind of forgot who God is, okay? Kind of forgot who God is. And, and the truth is that we church people, we do this sometimes. Sometimes we lose sight of who God is. We lose sight uh, of who we are in Christ. And we lose sight of what we're about as followers of Jesus. Uh, so I just want to remind you real quick. I want to remind you. This is not the sermon. This is just I want to remind you of who God is, who you are, and what we are about. And this is what I want to remind you of. It's like the song we just sang. Sometimes we keep telling ourselves how big our mountains are. And we need to tell ourselves how big our God is. You know what I mean? And that's kind of what I'm doing here. And and just real quickly, our God is great. He is awesome in power, sovereign over all of creation, and the righteous judge of the living and the dead. He is good. He is holy. He is compassionate and faithful. Our God created all things, and he is the redeemer of all who put their hope in Jesus. Jesus was and is fully God, fully man. He was no way inferior to God the Father. No way inferior to God 
the Holy Spirit. He was and is fully God, was and is fully man. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He died for our sin, rose again on the third day, and has ascended to the right hand of God the Father, having been given all authority in heaven and on earth. You know what that means? That means Vladimir Putin. That means every person you can think of. That means the the richest man in the world, every single person, needs to recognize the power and authority of Jesus. Um, Our God is great. He is awesome. And God has given us His Spirit, the Holy Spirit, fully God, to seal us for the day of redemption. One day Jesus is coming again. And He has sealed us in Christ for that day of redemption. Uh, he, uh, God has given us the Spirit to convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment, to guide us in truth, to feel and empower us to be witnesses for Jesus. And He has gifted you, every single person in this room. Yes, He is, Sammy. Thank you, Sammy. Our God is greater. Our God is greater, just as Sammy said. And, and he has given us his spirit to actually gift us to be servants of Christ's church and one another. Uh, that God, um, uh, in Christ, we are a new creation. We're no longer defined by what our lives used to be. We're no longer defined by the failures of the past. We are defined by who we are in Jesus. We are a new creation. The old has passed away the new has come. We're not about being young or old. We're not about being Lutheran, Pentecostal, Baptist, okay, or any other, Presbyterian, Methodist, I don't know, I'm, I'm going to leave someone out, Catholic, whatever. We're not, we're not about the things that divide us. We're not about being young or old, white, black, Hispanic, Asian. We're not about being rich or poor, educated or uneducated, Democrat, Republican, or independent. We're not about being Jew or Gentile, slave or free. This is what the Bible says. We're not about the things that divide us. Instead, we're about following Jesus together. That means giving Him first place in all things. That means being one in Him so that He is glorified in us. In Christ, we are free, and we want to use our freedom to humbly serve one another in love. We want to walk by the Spirit so that we do not indulge the flesh. We want to walk by the Spirit and live out the fruit of the Spirit. I think I need to remind us of this. I know we just did a series on it, but we want to walk by the Spirit. We want to walk by the Spirit so that we do not gratify the desires of the flesh. And we want to walk by the Spirit so that our loves are characterized by the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. In every relationship, every relationship. That means our marriages. That means our families. That means at work. That means in church. We want to be uh, our lives to be characterized by the fruit of the Spirit in, in, in all those relationships and everything that we do. The Bible. This book is not textbook on infant history. This Bible, this book, is not just a collection of wise sayings. The Bible is God's Word. Inspired by God, every word of it. 
It is God's revelation of Himself to mankind. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God's for its author. It has God for its author. Salvation for its end and truth without error. Therefore, all Scripture is totally true and trustworthy. The church is the body of Christ. Imperfect? Yes. But the church is the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the household of God, and the pillar and foundation of the truth. This world needs the church. It needs the Word of God. It needs Jesus. And it needs you and me living the mission of Jesus together. So as a church, our master is the Lord Jesus Christ. Our message is the gospel. Our mission is to make disciples. And the Bible is our first and final word on all matters of life and faith. This is who we are. This is what we're about. Everything else takes a back seat to these things. May God be glorified in us. Amen? All right. Now, how do I bridge back to the text? Well, first of all, just open your Bible. Got your Bible with you? I'd open up to it. Uh, open up to uh, Exodus chapter 3. I'm just going to do a little bit of review with you. A little bit of review. And uh, I'm going to look at the first 12 va- uh, verses of chapter 3, which we all talked about last week. But I think it's very important that we go back to the context. And then what we're going to do is we're going to bridge over a part of the text. I'll talk about it briefly, do a brief summary. And then we're going to look at Exodus chapter 4, verses 18 through 31, and which raises a couple of really kind of like sticky questions that people trip over all the time. And that's why I wanted to take this week to do a little bit of mopping up, cleaning up. Uh, in Exodus chapter 3, in Exodus chapter 3, um, the Bible says this. And, and remember, Israel at this point in time had been slaves in the land of Egypt for roughly 400 years. Uh, they had experienced systematic oppression. Uh, they had experienced uh, ethnic cleansing, uh, genocide. Uh, every male child of Hebrew birth was to be killed, was to be cast into the Nile River, fed to the crocodiles. This was, this was Israel's situation. They were brutalized people. You ever seen an animal that's just been beaten again and again and again and again, how it cowers? You ever seen an, an animal that's just been beaten to submission? where it just, it can't receive affection. If that stirs your heart for an animal, this was the nation of Israel, beaten without mercy. Just atrocity after atrocity after atrocity for 400 years. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, and the the priest of Midian, 
And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God, also known as Mount Sinai. There the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in flames of fire from within the bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. If only that happened in California. We just keep burning up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he'd gone over, gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. God says this, do not come any closer. Take off your sandals. For the place where you're standing is holy ground. Then God said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. I'll read a little bit more here in a moment. But I'm going to ask you to do a little exercise with me. If you're brave... If you're wise, I'm going to ask you to take a stand. If you're humble, you can be brave and wise too. Stand. I'm just going to ask you to stand in church, please. Are you feeling comfortable yet? Now what I want you to do is I want you to look down at your feet. Relax. I'm not going to tell you to take your shoes off. I want you to look down your feet. I want you to look at the ground on which you stand. Just look at the ground on which you stand. See that? See that ground? When you stand in the presence of God, the ground you stand on is holy. Did you know that? When you stand in the presence of God, the ground you stand on is holy. When you follow Jesus, the ground you walk on is holy. You know what that means? It means it belongs to God. It's holy. It belongs to God. When you follow Jesus, the ground you walk on is holy. It's the best kind of ground to walk on. And when a person doesn't follow Jesus, the ground they walk on, is unholy. You can be seated. God encounters Moses. Moses wasn't expecting this. We know from the scriptures that Moses spent 40 years, 40 years in Egypt. He was a prince of Egypt, a man of great power. Then he did something stupid. He killed an Egyptian killed an Egyptian who was beating a Hebrew, hit him in some sand. Pharaoh found out about it. Pharaoh tried to kill the king of Egypt, tried to kill. Uh, he, he tried to kill him, tried to kill Moses. So Moses fled. He ran away to a place called Midian, which would be in the northwestern part of the Saudi Arabian Peninsula, across the Red Sea. It's a long way on foot from Egypt. It's like a safe place to hide. And the Bible tells us that 
that Moses spent roughly 40 years tending sheep. But then God encounters Moses. Verse 7 says, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've seen it. I see their sufferings. I see what they're going through. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about them. I have seen them. I have heard them. I am concerned for them, says God. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hevites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. Now, so far so good. If you're Moses, so far so good. Verse 10. So now, go. You know what that means? It means go. It means go now. You ever, I don't know, if you're a parent, you ever tell one of your kids to do something? You tell them to go and they kind of go like this? If you ever see Jim Cobway on the Caribbean that show years ago, how slow he'd move. You ever tell your, your kid to do something and they're kind of moving like Tim Conway on the Kim Carol Burnett show? It's like they're going, but not really. It's like they're obeying, but not really. It's like they're believing, but not really. This is the way many people follow Jesus. There's just no urgency in it. There's no go. Thank you, Sammy. There's no go. There was no go in Mo. I just thought of that, all right? All right, we're dismissed. You can go home now. God says to, to Moses, so now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people and the Israelites out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, are you kidding me? No, I'm not kidding. He didn't really say that. Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? You know that song we just sang a moment ago about the mountains? You remember what Matt was talking about? Sometimes we tell ourselves how great our mountains are. It's so hard. We tell God how great our mountains are, how big they are. And we forget to tell ourselves how great our God is, how big our God is. Moses, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. By the way, if this sounds familiar to you, it should. Because it's the exact words of Jesus. In Matthew 28, Moses has been sent on a mission. You and I, we have been sent on a mission. It goes like this. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, 
It, basically, what that means is go invite people to follow Jesus with you. And, 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 and to make disciples of all those different nations means all people. The word there for nation is ethnos, where we get our word ethnicity. It means all people, all kinds of people, everywhere. Go and make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always. See, Jesus says go, and he says, I am with you. Whenever God tells us to go, we don't go alone. Whenever we go, whenever we follow Jesus, we're walking on holy ground, and God is with us. This is just for you. Just for you. And there's a lesson for us in this. When God has given you a mission, no excuse will pardon. You see, what, what, what Moses does is, is God has told him to go, and Moses says, who am I? Who am I? Who am I? I, I mean, me? I haven't been to seminary. I, I, I haven't been to Bible college. I haven't been trained. I mean, uh, I'm not a gifted preacher or worship leader or, you know, who am I? I'm not an extrovert. I'm not whatever. Who am I? This is what gets us in so much trouble is we're focused on I instead of focused on the one who goes with us. It'd be great if this were the only excuse that Moses gave to God, but it's, it's interesting. As you read through this text, you don't read one excuse. You read five excuses. Did you know that? Moses gives five excuses. He gives five excuses of why he shouldn't go. It's really fascinating. He, he gives, first of all, who am I? That what if people ask me, who has sent you? Well, what if they don't believe me? Well, God, I'm a man of fault, 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 faltering lips. Finally, he just says, please, God, send someone else. Excuse me. Oh. When God has given you a mission, no excuse will pardon you. By the way, do you know what an excuse is? Do you know what an excuse is? An excuse is the skin of a reason. Stuffed with a lie. Did you know that? An excuse. I don't care what the excuse is. It is the skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. A lot of people have been credited with saying that. Most of them died after Billy Sunday. I, I read where Billy Sunday said it, so I'm just going to assume it started with him. The old baseball player, uh, evangelist, he's been dead for almost 100 years. But, but, but Billy Sunday used to tell people, an excuse is the skin of a lie. Or excuse me, skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. Oftentimes we make excuses to God why we shouldn't do what God has sent us to do. I mean, I did this when we first felt like God was sending us here to plant a church and where there was no church. I had lots of really good excuses of why I shouldn't go. My favorite one was no paycheck. Who wants to do that? Anybody want to sign up for that? You know, uh, by the way, God has been faithful. 
God has been faithful. We've never gone hungry. We've never been without uh, food, shelter, clothing. We've never been thirsty. God has gone with us. This church, we've encountered a lot of different hurdles through the years. But God has been faithful. He has always been faithful. He always will be faithful. And that's why we walk by faith. By the way, when you walk by faith, you walk on holy ground. And that's the best kind of ground to walk on. Okay, now we're going to get to the part that gets hard. I'm stalling. I'm, I'm stalling. Because we get to verse 18, and, 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 and this is what happens. It says, Then Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, said to him, let me return to my own people in Egypt to see if any of them are still alive. Jethro says, go, and I wish you well. So far, so good. No problem there. Now, the Lord had said to Moses and Midian, go back to Egypt, for all those who wanted to kill you are dead. So Moses took his wife and sons, put them on a donkey, and started back to Egypt. And he took the staff of God in his hand. So far, again, so far, so good. Then the Lord said to Moses, When you return to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I've given you the power to do. But I will harden his heart. Ooh. Ooh. Wait, wait a second. When you return to Egypt, see you perform for Pharaoh all the wonders I've given you the power to do. But I will harden his heart. Whoa, 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 whoa what's that about? Why is it you're sending me to do something? Why is it you're sending me with a message to this person, but you're going to harden his heart? Does that raise a question in your head? Well, that's kind of not nice, isn't it? Hardening someone's heart. I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn son. And I told you, let my son go so that he may worship me. But you refuse to let him go. So I will kill your firstborn son. By the way, what were the Egyptians doing? They weren't just killing firstborn sons. They were killing every son. God calls Israel his firstborn son. But we, we have this little text of Scripture, and this is, really, this is really kind of a problem text for a lot of people. I will harden his heart. I will harden his heart. Why would God do that? Why would God harden anyone's heart? By the way, Paul comes to this later in the book of Romans. And he says, so then I harden some, and I have mercy to some. Tough text. Tough text. One of the things that gets us in trouble is when we feel like somehow God owes us an explanation of why and how he works the way he does. Did you know that? We get in trouble when we believe that God owes us an explanation of why and how he does certain things, or why he says certain things. God doesn't, he's not really a people pleaser. He's not really looking for our affirmation about why he does things the way he does them, or why he says what he says. But I'm going to try to explain it for you. Okay. Uh, real quick, just a couple thoughts on this. Um, a couple thoughts here. 
when you read through the book of Exodus, and this is why I always tell you, when you read a chapter, don't stop there. I, I, I don't know if I always say that, but I know I've said it at least once. When you read a chapter, never stop there. Because you almost never get the whole story at the end of the chapter. If you read chapter 3 of Exodus and you don't read chapter 4, you break this whole story, this encounter of God with Moses in half, and you end up missing the whole point. When you read through the book of Exodus, actually the chapters we're looking at, Exodus chapter 1 all the way through chapter 15, verse 21. You know how many times the, the word hardened is used? I don't know. It's a lot. I was hoping one of y'all might know, but no one seems to know. I'd say, I don't know, maybe 15, 20 times, something like that. This is what it says. Um, it said, God says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. God says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And this says this. But Pharaoh's heart was hard. But Pharaoh hardened his heart. But Pharaoh's heart was unyielding. But Pharaoh hardened his heart. Hardened his heart. But Pharaoh's heart was hard. But Pharaoh's heart was unyielding. You, you, as you're reading through the story of God bringing Israel out of Egypt, you keep seeing Pharaoh either being hard-hearted, hardening his heart, or having an unyielding heart. And finally, you remember all those plagues that come on Egypt? God calls them wonders. Judgment, signs of judgment against the gods of Egypt. I think it's seven times that Pharaoh hardens his heart. I don't think it's until after the sixth plague it finally says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. I think several more times it says Pharaoh hardened his heart. And then it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. What are we supposed to make out of all this stuff? I, I've read a number of commentaries on it. I've prayed about it. I've thought it through. I've, I've read through a, a lot of different texts of Scripture. This is just my attempt, my attempt to put things together. Sometimes there are some things, you know, you know is, is a man responsible for his actions? Absolutely. The Bible teaches that. Is a woman responsible for her actions? Absolutely. The Bible teaches that. Is God sovereign? Absolutely, the Bible teaches that. Well, which one is it? Is God sovereign or are people responsible for their actions? Yes. Well, yes to which one? Well, yes to this one and yes to that one. They're like parallel truths. You know, any of y'all ever walk on a railroad track? I have. I've walked on lots of railroad tracks. I, I've, I've walked on, I've done a few things on railroad tracks you shouldn't do on railroad tracks. But um, you ever race a train? Anyway, so... Um, but railroad tracks, they're like, they're, they, they, they don't intersect at any point. They don't diverge at any point. They just run parallel to each other all the way through Scripture. It's part of what we see. They're parallel truths. They're hard for us to grasp, but you can't deny one or the other. It's kind of like, is God one God? Or is he three persons? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Well, yes and yes. The Bible reveals that there is one God, and he's three persons. And here we see Pharaoh hardening his heart, and we see God hardening his, his 
<laughs> Got to be careful how you say that. We see God hardening his heart. And the point is this. God does not harden Pharaoh's heart against Pharaoh's will. God hardens Pharaoh's heart according to Pharaoh's will. You understand that? You see that? If you don't see it today, that's fine. Don't worry about it. But I think as we continue to read through the book of Exodus, you're going to see this, is that, that there's this hardening that's happening. And Pharaoh is the responsible person in this, but God is at work in this as well. Because through this, God is going to do something absolutely marvelous. So the world knows that there is a God. Where am I at? At the lodging place, verse 24. Oh, boy, this is fun. This is really fun. At the lodging place on the, wo- on, on the way, at the lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. Who's the Lord about to kill? Moses. People really, they're like, wait a second. If God kills Moses, then what's going to happen? Don't worry about that. At the lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. But Zipporah, also known as Zippy. Okay, maybe not. But Zipporah took a flint knife, cut off her son's foreskin of the penis, and touched Moses' feet with it. Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me, she said. So the Lord let him alone, let Moses alone. At that time, she said bridegroom of blood, referring to circumcision. What the heck is that about? All right. A couple thoughts here. A couple thoughts. You know, I, I failed to make my, my point with the last part, the last little text I looked at. The, part, the, the point there was be careful that you don't, your heart is not hardened toward God. Okay, here. Uh, the Lord meets Moses. He's about to kill him. What the heck is this about? And, and, and very quickly, very quickly, let me just read for you a text of Scripture. Let me just read for you a text of Scripture. And then let me, um, let me just make a couple of comments on this, okay? Uh, if you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 17, you start in verse 9. And you read through, through verse 12. It's not up here on the screen. I apologize. Just didn't put it in there. But this is, then God said to Abraham, remember Abraham lived about 400 years before these events? Then God said to Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenant. Okay? A, a covenant is a sacred pledge, in this case, between God and a person or God and a people. Then God said to Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. So we've got a covenant here between God and the descendants of Abraham, which would include Moses. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant that you are to keep. Every male among you must be circumcised. This was meant to be a mark that the people, descendants of Abraham, belong to God. Uh, You are to uh, undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you for generations to come. Every male among you 
uh, must be, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised. God had made a covenant with his people, uh, the descendants of, of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the people of Israel. And the sign of this covenant was circumcision. And one of the things that Moses didn't do is he wasn't keeping the covenant. He wasn't keeping the covenant. He was despising the covenant of God. By the way, uh, Moses is very real with us in the book of Exodus. Moses is not afraid to reveal to us his failures. Moses doesn't write the, the, the book of Exodus trying to cover up his life before God. Moses is very real. It's, it's very, um, uh, any of you guys, I'm assuming some of you know who C.S. Lewis was? He's written a few books. Chronicles of Narnia, those are really, really popular. Mere Christianity, great book. If you've never read it, it's fantastic. I'd encourage you to read it. A whole bunch of other books as well. He used to be uh, a literature professor at uh, Cambridge. Very, very smart. Brilliant guy. Brilliant guy. And I read one of his his biographies. It was called The Most Reluctant Convert. Okay? And, uh, and, And this was based upon a phrase that Lewis made about himself, is that he was the most reluctant convert that he really did not want to convert to Christianity, okay? Did not want it at all. Very comfortable in his, uh, in his, uh, uh, his what do you call it? <laughs> not atheism, but agnosticism. Very, very uh, comfortable in that, that way of thinking and believing. And, uh, but God kind of drug him in, kicking and screaming against his will into the kingdom of God. And so he described himself as being the most reluctant convert. I would say the most reluctant convert was probably Paul, the Apostle Paul. I mean, he gets knocked off a horse before he finally turns to Jesus, okay? Uh, but, but there's this guy, his name's Alec Motier. He's an Irish scholar. Well, he's, uh, he's with the Lord now, I think. But uh, Anglican priest, really smart guy. I've uh, been reading his commentary on the book of Exodus. It's probably one of the better uh, commentaries on the book of Exodus that's been written. But Alec Motier described, likes to describe Moses as being the most reluctant convert. It's like God's telling him to do this, and, and, like, and, and like Moses is not wanting to do it. You, you remember? It's like he's obeying. God says go, and he's kind of going like this. Okay? The way some of us follow Jesus, you know? I'll get there, maybe. He's just kind of dragging his feet. He's going to go and speak to Israel, the, the covenant people of God, and tell them, get ready, you're leaving the land of Egypt. And he's not keeping the covenant himself. And so people, they're like, would, would God really do this? Would God really, really, uh, would he do something like this? Doesn't that sound like a severe judgment? I'm just musing here. Perhaps... Moses' judgment was so severe because of his leadership role. The Bible instructs us that those who teach incur greater punishment if we are unfaithful to God. This is what the Bible says. Not many of you should be teachers. Kind of scary for me to read those words. Very scary for me to read those words. I am so afraid of dishonoring God one day, doing something really stupid. By the way, I've done some really stupid things. 
Not many of you should be teachers, my, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We need to be very, uh, very careful here. Um, and I would say the lesson here is be careful of treating God's covenant with contempt. Be careful of treating God's covenant with contempt. Can we do that? Can we treat the covenant of God with contempt? Let me tell you something. Uh, some of you are getting ready to study the book of James. I'm actually going to do a series on James a little bit later. Oh, man. Some people believe, oh, well, I believe in God. I believe the Bible. I believe in Jesus. And I go to church. My duty is done. I just want to tell you, saving faith is an enduring faith. It endures. Saving faith is an eager faith. Saving faith is an eager faith. It obeys. Now, does James say that? James says faith without works is dead faith. Uh, faith alone saves. But faith that saves is never alone. You know who said that? He's a Lutheran. Martin Luther. <laughs> Not Martin Luther King Jr. Mar- I'm talking about the Martin Luther, okay? The, the You know, the Protestant Reformation, all that kind of good stuff. Faith alone saves, but faith that saves is never alone. Um. Be careful of treating God's covenant with contempt. This is what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 says this. This is talking about, you know, God has made a covenant with us through the blood of Jesus. This is what we celebrate every time we take communion together. We'll do this on Friday. We're going to take communion here for Good Friday. That we're celebrating the new covenant in the blood of Jesus. And when Paul was giving instructions to the people of Corinth uh, about communion, he says this, So then, whoever eats the bread, the bread of you know, communion, or the Lord's Supper, or the Eucharist, whatever your tradition called it when you were a kid growing up, so then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, beware. Anyone who eats the bread, drinks the cup, in an unworthy manner, will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. We sin against God. Everyone ought to examine themselves. We should take time to examine our lives. This is why, in revival prayer, one of the first things we do is we pause and we say, God, examine me. Search me. Search my heart. Search my mind. See if there's any offensive way in me. (coughs) Excuse me. Lead me in the way everlasting. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of of Christ, uh, eat and drink judgment on themselves. They're not saved by what they take. They are judged by what they take. That is why many among you are weak and sick. And a number of you have fallen asleep. You know what that means? They've died. 
But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, examining our lives, um, if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would, come, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, we are judged in this way by the Lord. Uh, we are disciplined. When we're judged in this way, we are being disciplined. Why? So that we will not be finally condemned with the world. If you are saved, you are saved forever. But the person who is saved by God, and they kind of follow Jesus like this, really are not walking on holy ground. There is a judgment. It may not be the eternal judgment of everlasting hell, but there is a price that comes with not believing and obeying God. I'm sorry, it kind of sounds heavy. This is the reason I would have just liked to have skipped over this, gone into chapter 5. Oh, let me just finish reading here, and I'm going to let you guys go. Um, we're past the lodging place. Verse 27, the Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness, meet Moses. So he met Moses at the mountain of God, Horeb, Sinai, and kissed him. Normal greeting, Middle East that time. Then Moses told Aaron, his brother, everything the Lord had sent him to say, and also about the signs that he had commanded him to perform. Verse 29, Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites, and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people, and they believed. And they heard, when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. Kind of a bright, happy spot we can end with. They believed, they believed, they believed, and they worshipped. It's kind of a good way to end. Next week we're going to find out it doesn't go real well after this. Okay? It gets tough again. Um, and that's kind of the way life is. Uh, I, you know what? I'm not sure how to end this. So I'm going to ask the worship team, you guys come, come on back up. Let me pray for us. Hopefully this is somewhat helpful for you. And uh, let's pray. Okay? God, you are great. You are awesome. You are good. You are the one who created the heavens and the earth by your mighty power, by your spoken word. You are, uh, God, not just the creator, the maker of all things. You are sovereign in your rule over all of creation. You are awesomely in charge. And God, you are the Redeemer of your people. You redeemed Israel out of Egypt and you've redeemed us out of our sin. Lord, we want to we want to be a people who truly follow you, who do not drag our feet, either in our belief or our obedience. But we want to eagerly uh, follow you for the honor and the glory of your name. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, good morning. Thank you, Gary. That was an awesome message. My name is Jen. I'm going to give you guys a couple of quick announcements for this week. Sorry, I'm having technical phone difficulties like always. Okay, so first up, um, I just want to, again, encourage you something that really matters to us here, and that is connection. Connection and serving. Those are two ways that we can grow. We don't want our faith in our walk with Jesus to just be in this building. We want to take it outside of this building. 
he's not only here, he's everywhere. He wants to go with us. And so one way that we can connect and grow is through serving and through connection. We have many connection groups that are meeting right now, some just for women, some for men, some for couples. We have a youth group. We have our children's ministry. There's something for everyone here. If you're interested in learning about that, go to our SVC app. You can find that on the Google Play Store or the Apple, is it called the Apple Store? I'm not sure. I don't have an Apple. Okay, Apple Store. All right. Um, And we have plenty of opportunities. We'd love some teachers, some more teachers. We need people to help with refreshments, with our sound booth, with doing, um, like, stuff on our social media. If that's something that interests you, please look into that. We would love to get you connected with that. Um, this week on is Good Friday, and we just want to welcome you guys and offer you to come at 6 p.m. to help us worship and just reflect on what Jesus has done and has did for us on the cross. I, I always It always amazes me how we call it Good Friday because he died that day, and I'm sure for the people there, it was not good. It was anything but good. I think about his disciples and how in shock they must have been, like just such dismay that this savior was gone and then to think that three days later he came back it's such good news like i just it blows me away um so it is a good friday and we want to celebrate that we want to reflect on that so please join us at 6 p.m and then that following sunday is easter sunday uh we would like you to invite a friend invite a neighbor uh we're going to have a like photo booth set up over here we might have an easter bunny here for some pictures with your kids or your grandkids. So please come join us for Easter Sunday. We'd love to celebrate again the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ from that tomb. Um, Now we're going to turn our attention to our giving. This is something we do again. None of what we have is ours. It all comes from God. And we want to give back to him and let him use us to bless others. So there are five ways that we can give. One is to visit the website at www.solanovalley.org forward slash giving. You can tap the give button on that SVC app I talked about earlier. You can send a check to 1307 Oliver Road in Fairfield, California, 94534. You can text the word give to 707-883-3019. And if you're here in person, you can place your offering in the silver slot behind our sound booth back there. We just want to thank you guys again. I pray that you all have a wonderful week and go out there and walk in the spirit. Thanks, Zippy. <laughs> let's stand together and let's let's celebrate the Lord one more time for the great things he has done. And again, thank you so much for being with us today. And thank you, everyone, on Facebook and YouTube for tuning in. And welcome again, Contreras family. What a blessing to see you all. Let's worship.
Take care.